What can I say about Alan Lazarus? Years ago at age 26, after being involved in a nearly fatal car accident, Alan questioned everything. His father passed away in another car accident at age 28 when Alan was only two. So this car accident really did shake his snow globe. He questioned everything. What if that was it? Did I live a life true to myself? How courageously did I fight for what I believed in? How fiercely did I love? Alan didn't like his answers and was filled with regret. So he decided to change forever. And so today, Alan's a professional speaker, a peak performance business coach, and a consultant as well. And he also co-hosts the Hyperconscious Podcast. And between speaking, podcasting, coaching, and consulting, Alan has clocked and tracked thousands of hours inspiring, motivating, and educating others on how to master their systems and design a magnificent life on their own terms. Alan believes that life is about choices. You see, he grew up his entire life hearing stories about his father, and he can tell you from experience that how you die isn't going to matter. What is going to matter is how you choose to live. So without further ado, let's get started. Hi, my name is Kirby Ingles and you're listening to the True Success Podcast. My goal is to help you find true success by helping you live a rich and satisfying life, a life of happiness and meaning and becoming a pillar of your community. This podcast is designed to inspire you to write a new narrative, revolutionize the way we live and create a ripple effect that resonates with future generations. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. I'm here with Alan Lazaroth from the Hyperconscious Podcast. He specializes in peak performance and lifestyle design. Alan, welcome to the show. And please tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So a little bit about myself. I'll try to give you the shorter version, um, but it, it is difficult to take 31 years and condense it into one short version, right? So when I was two years old, my father passed away in a car accident. Now I talk often about this and, and it'll circle back later, but the reason why is because I think a lot of people have an intellectual understanding of death. Mine's always been an emotional one. So I lost something near and dear to my heart that still to this day is something that, you know, kind of hurts in a way, mm -hmm. but I gained something else. And what I gained is perspective. And so I was raised by two women, fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. I had an older sister, three years older and my mother. My mother always taught me one simple thing that I'll never forget. And I often say this on podcasts, which is, she said, Alan, life is about choices. When your father died, I didn't have that many choices. So you can be a CEO or you can be a farmer. I'm going to love you either way. But if you aim high and you're a CEO, you can wake up one day and decide to be a farmer. But if you go the other route, you can't necessarily just wake up one day and suddenly decide to be a CEO. So what she said is aim high, do well in school, and you'll have choices. And honestly, that guided me from a very young age. And, you know, she's helped me sort of on that journey. And that's really what I'm here to talk about today is like the most empowering thought in the world, in my opinion, is you have a spotless future. 
So no matter how hard your life has been, no matter how hard your life is right now, your future and my future is spotless. We can start making new choices from this moment on and it can change everything. Wow, that's pretty powerful. You come out swinging. So it was <laughs> a, 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 a pretty good peek into to what you're getting ready to talk about and why you're even in here on this show. So I don't really need to go any further. So let me dive into some of the questions. And so you kind of talked to us about kind of how you were raised a little bit. Um, but so, so where did you grow up and, and what was that like? Great question. So it's interesting because I grew up in Uxbridge, Massachusetts in the U.S. And it was a small rural town. And we grew up on a, a small lake, big pond. And what was that like? I would say, like... Like I already said, and sort of to circle back, my mom told me that academics was really important and that if I was smart enough, I'd have choices and to aim high, right? So what I did is I actually did, I wanted to get the president's award in high school. My mom did something really, uh, really courageous. She said, Alan, you can take eighth grade off. Up until that time, I was like a straight A student. You can take eighth grade off and have fun. If you promise me, you'll get the president's award in high school. And the president's award in high school was basically straight A's. Mm -hmm. And you, you basically never got below a 95 out of 100 GPA for any term, any report card. And so if you look at my academic career in eighth grade, I have C's and D's and B's. And then all of high school, I had straight A's. And so what was that like? I would say a small rural town where I kind of was perceived as the smart kid who mm -hmm. never got a B. I got one B plus in honors English and then never took honors English again, which is a mistake in hindsight. But, and then I went to WPI which was an engineering school. And I went from small rural town in Uxbridge, not exposed to all that much in hindsight, to, of diversity and all that, to WPI, which is just this, this giant global melting pot of all these different cultures and all these different people. And it really opened my eyes to, yeah, I mean, a small rural Mm -hmm. town in Massachusetts, uh, you only get so much perspective. And so what was that like? I think it was really enjoyable. I think it had its challenges, but I, I am grateful that I was able to aim really high and, and expose myself to what else was out there. Yeah, no, I agree. Thank you for sharing that with us. I appreciate that perspective. You know, not, you know we kind of have an understanding of your foundation and where you come from. And you also spoke about how your mother kind of set the bar for you and and kind of told you, hey, you know, you can go and be a CEO or you can be a farmer. And so when it comes to that, you know, before any of the, the tragedy that had happened in your life had occurred, what did you think that uh, you were going to be maybe later on in life? You know, what would you think that you were going to do? Like what, you know, because a lot of us like myself, you know, you grow up and you have this vision. And then at some point in our lives, there's a shift, you know. Right. And so what was that like for you? You know, what were your aspirations, your dreams, you know, when your mother was kind of putting a lot of that into you at that moment, you know, what did you think that you were going to achieve at that moment? You know, it's interesting because when I was 10 years old, I was driving past WPI and my uncle at the time was actually the track and field coach there and WPI, it's Worcester Polytechnic Institute. So it's kind of like a mini MIT for anyone who doesn't know. And it's a technical institution, one of the top ones. But what she said is, Alan, smart people go there. I'm 10 years old at the time. You should go there one day. You're really good at math. And so she planted a dream in my heart, right? And I realized that now. At the time, I was just like trying to please my mom and, and you know, do what I thought was best. And, she's, and, and it's interesting because my, my uncle since passed, and he's actually named after the track and field there. It's called Norcross Field. My uncle Merle, Merle, Merle Norcross actually 
Um, so she planted that seed and all through high school, I got the president's award. I went to WPI and I, at that time thought I'd be an engineer. I was told, Alan, you're really good at math. And I was, and engineers make a lot of money and you'll have choices if you have money. So engineers, what I landed on. And so I got an electrical and computer engineering degree at WPI. But when I went into corporate America, I kind of realized that maybe my strength zone wasn't sitting behind a desk designing circuits or coding and that I loved people. And so shortly thereafter, I kind of transitioned into marketing. I worked for a bunch of different companies. I did some soul searching. So I worked for iRobot. I started my own company called Campus Libre back then with some buddies. I worked for Oz Development, Tyco Safety Products, um, a company called uh, Sensata Technologies, which used to be Texas Instruments. I did global product management. I did marketing. I did business. Uh, and then eventually I landed at a company called Cognex. Cognex sells industrial automation equipment out in Natick. Uh, they're headquartered in Natick rather, but they do it globally. And I, did, I started an inside sales team with a buddy of mine there, brought on a lot of my friends from WPI, got promoted to outside sales. And I'm 26 at the time, and I really did a lot of rising. So what were my dreams back then? I remember reading Steve Jobs by Walter Isaacson, that book. And I was a junior in college, and I remember thinking, I want to be a Fortune 50 CEO. Now, I didn't necessarily admire Steve for some of the less ideal parts of his character, but what I did admire is how much he changed the world and how many industries he changed, you know? And so that was sort of my vision. I'm going to be a Fortune 50 CEO like my hero. Now, what's interesting is when you set a big goal like that, yeah. but you're not as crystal clear on your core values, it's, it's difficult to, sometimes you find yourself in places with people that you didn't expect. And so when that shifted for me was when I was 26 years old, I got in a car accident. So I'm up in New Hampshire uh, with my little cousin and we were going to TGI Fridays and he's 17. And I look down at the GPS and I tell the story off and I, I look up and I thought the road stayed right. It actually stayed left. So I was supposed to yield. And this was like a dark winter night. And I looked up and I saw the brightest lights I'd ever seen. And I saw a car coming at me head on and like 10 feet from me. Now, if you're out there right now, right now listening, you've probably had the death of a loved one or the death of a pet, or maybe you've been in a life or death situation like me. I genuinely at this moment thought this was the end of my life. And for me, again, circle back, my father passed away in a car accident when he was 28, when I was two. So I'm 26 at this time. And this messed with me. Fortunately, I was driving a Volkswagen Passat 2004, which I used to call the tank, actually. German trap, steel trap. And both airbags went off. So me and him were okay. I mean, he hurt his knee. I hurt my face on the airbag. But I'm sitting in an armchair drinking whiskey, questioning my entire life. And so I'm sitting there and the questions that I'm asking myself is like, I just wasn't proud of me. At the end of the day, I wasn't proud of who I became. Like, these are the two questions I've eventually landed on. Did I fight courageously for what I believe in? And did I love fiercely? What's interesting is back then I had all of the things that other people would consider success, at least what I thought was success. So I had well over six figures, right? I was, I was young. I had a beautiful girlfriend. Yeah. I had literally all my friends from college were still my friends. All my friends from high school were still my friends. Cognex had a motto called work hard, play hard. I used to say work hard, play harder. <laughs> and so, right. And so I used to kind of live this sort of lifestyle that a lot of people would have loved or would have, that I thought I would have loved. 
based on that trajectory, that original dream of being a Fortune 50 CEO. I also got my MBA during this time as well, because again, engineering degree plus MBA, eventually that's how you rise. And that's what I thought was the right path for me. After that car accident, though, I realized, you know what, honestly, I think I've been chasing expense at the uh, or pleasure at the expense of fulfillment. And so here's what I did. So I found a book by Bronnie Ware called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And to this day, I have a flashcard in my pocket even right now with all five regrets. The number one regret of the dying is I wish I had lived a life true to myself and not what others expected of me. And so my mom did plant dreams in my heart and she always taught me to aim high. And I I love that. And I'm so grateful for that. But at the end of the day, I do realize that a lot of that was me maybe not consciously choosing on my own accord, but doing what I believed other people, what, what would get approval or, or what would deem society would deem successful. And so after that car accident, when you really contemplate your life, you just sit there and go, you know what? I think I'm done playing that game. So I got off, you know, that track and I went all in on my dreams. You know, I, I went into fitness. I was a personal trainer. I was a fitness model. You know, now I do business consulting. I started a podcast and I'm all in on being a speaker, podcaster, and mm-hmm. consultant now. And that's my new sort of trajectory. But my original dream was to be a Fortune 50 CEO in corporate America. And my new dream is to be basically a world-renowned professional speaker, podcaster, and business consultant. But now I'm living life on my own terms, and I'm making my choices consciously. And back then, I think I was kind of, yeah, chasing pleasure at, at the expense of fulfillment. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you sharing all that with us. And, and you know, uh, it's important to have that understanding of, of where someone was and the events that have happened to them and how it shifts, you know, them away, you know, from the idea of, of achieving accolades and things like that. And, and for you, you know, basically the lesson that you're telling us is that uh, to live a life true to yourself and not necessarily uh, – you know, these, these materialistic things, you know, like titles and other things that we, we chase, you know, and you talked about, you know, your, your mentor, Steve Jobs, and the way he impacted the world and not necessarily the, you know, the other things about him that he was also well known for. One of the things you mentioned was uh, climbing through the corporate world, you know, corporate America and, and quickly and, and, and it, you became um, successful financially. You know, what is it from that, you know, that journey, you know, that, 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 that glide path that you're on that you learned. So one thing I would say is understanding. So I, I often say this because some of my clients are business and then other than mm-hmm. other them want help starting a business, but also they're in a career. Right. So what I say is this, I think there's two master skills to career development. Mm-hmm. Number one is increasing your own value based on what your job and the marketplace needs desperately. Mm-hmm. And then number two is making sure the right people AKA decision makers are seeing that value consistently. Right. And so what did I learn? I I think that I was very good at shifting through, sifting through what was inessential and finding what really mattered to my boss and my boss's boss and my boss's boss's boss. And so now it's interesting because as a business consultant, I get to see the whole hierarchy. I get to see the C-suite and I get to understand the top down. But back then when I was trying to rise, I don't think I had ever been on both sides of the, the desk. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like now, you know, we're older and, and, and I'm 31 now. And it's like, you know, one of my clients is younger. And it's interesting because 
as a business owner who helps business owners grow their businesses, it's obvious to me that business owners need the best talent just as much as you need the job, if not more. You know, the biggest challenge for every business owner out there right now is attracting and retaining the best talent, period. And if you know that and you know that you have the skills that they desperately need, you actually have more leverage than you realize. So that's one thing that I learned is it's not necessarily just about how competent you are at your job. It's about understanding the, the, the needs of the business at the higher level and making sure that your contributions are being seen in that regard. Yeah, that's pretty important. Um, earlier you were sharing with me uh, a story about your girlfriend um, and you guys were climbing um, a mountain. Would you like to share that story with us? Yeah, absolutely. So my girlfriend, Emilia, and I were climbing Wachusett Mountain and I talked to you a little bit about how I think I did anyways, mm-hmm. how I was very, very results driven and mm-hmm. I am very, very results driven and how she is more process driven. And so if you've ever been hiking with your intimate partner, you're probably on one end of this. So I, you know, we're at the bottom of the mountain and I just wanted to get to the top and I'm there for the workout and for the exercise. Uh, and I can tell that she really cares about which trail we take and which one's the more scenic route. And she wants to enjoy the fun, unique experience. And so I think some people are really goal oriented and results driven. I think other people are very process oriented and they want to make sure they're enjoying themselves. I think, you know, life is the dance between those two extremes and how do you integrate them? Because really early in my life, like I said, you know, I was on my way to being a fortune 50 CEO back then, but that doesn't mean that I was happy and fulfilled. Right. Mm-hmm. So how do you take happiness and fulfillment and what really fills your cup and what makes you proud of who you are and integrate that with these big, huge aspirations? And so now what I say to people is, so we did an episode once on the seven reasons to set a goal. Mm-hmm. And what's really cool is that the seventh least important reason was actually to get the goal, mm-hmm. right? And so for anyone out there listening, why do you set a goal? Number one, for the person you must become to achieve it. Number two, the people you must meet to achieve it. Mm-hmm. Number three, the fears you must face to achieve it. Number four, the skills you must develop to achieve it. For the journey, it will force you to embark upon that otherwise you wouldn't. This is the analogy I use. When I was 21, uh, 22 actually, I drove across the country to LA. And driving from Boston to LA is a very different journey than Boston to Worcester, which is only an hour away. So people are like, well, life is about the journey. You don't need to have these big, crazy goals. It's like, yeah, but the goal you choose is going to dictate most of the journey. If you don't need to, I guess if you don't want much, you don't have to become much. If you don't have that goal of getting to the top of Wachusett Mountain, you don't need to climb. And therefore you don't need to get that exercise and develop those skills and things like that. So one thing that I would leave, not leave, but like give your listeners right now, (laughs) You get paid in proportion to the following three things from my understanding. Number one, how needed is what you do. Number two, how good are you at it? And then number three, how difficult would it be to replace you? And if you're results driven, you probably know that. If you're process driven and experience driven, you got to understand, listen, here's what I would say too. Choose, figure out which end you're on. If you go into a coffee shop, are you looking for the stimulant of the caffeine or are you looking for how good the coffee tastes? That's result versus experience. If you're experience driven, you got to get around someone who's results driven and learn from them because that's a really success is an important science and skill to develop. If you are just results driven, like I was early on, you know, straight A's, you know, fortune 50 CEO, 
you know, going to WPI, graduating with high distinction, getting all those jobs and money, six mm-hmm. figures, all that's results oriented. Yeah. But the process that it required of me wasn't something that made me proud of me. So I think on one end, you have people good at goals, but mm-hmm. not good at fulfillment. On the other end, you have people really good at fulfillment and maybe not as good at goals. But honestly, I think you need both. Mm-hmm. Well, that's very cool. I, you know, I've, I've mostly been, um, I was a results driven guy at one point in time, you know, and, and, and I've kind of reversed that a little bit myself, you know, and I've almost fell in love with just as much of the process, but I know that I have to establish those goals. I have to have those benchmarks along the way to make sure that I'm getting, you know, there. And that's the process of, of building the relationships and knowing that these things will build upon each other. And I think that's what's unique about the process as well, too. So uh, I've always, you know, I've, I've probably spent more time as of late focusing on processes and helping people focus on processes um, because I find a lot of value in there. Um, but the goal is just you have to establish that goal. You have to set that goal. You have to have a, a specific direction or a vision that you want to go or else you're just kind of what I say drifting. Yeah, you're winging whichever way the waves knock you around if you're in a boat, you know, um, and you just don't have a motor or a rudder or a sail or anything, you know, you, you have you have no ability to go any way. You're just going wherever life's tossing you. Um, and that's unfortunate that, you know, I, I there's a lot of people out there that go through that process. So I really do appreciate both perspectives and having trying to find that balance. Exactly. So, the integration cool. of those two. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. So you're, you're in, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you're in peak performance. And so with peak performance has a lot to do with health. Um, and so you want to kind of share some of that with us, you know, I, I'm sure, you know, it has a lot to do with sleep and, and exercise and, and many other things, but, you know, share with us what you do when it comes to peak performance and health. Yeah. So I think a holistic approach to peak performance is key, right? Because anybody can have a a really great day for productivity, but who can sustain it over the long term? And so I break it up into three facets. Mm -hmm. So there's health, there's wealth, and there's love. So health is physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. Wealth is how you make your money. In other words, do you love what you're doing? How much you make of it? And then most importantly, in my opinion, is where do you invest it? None of us spend money, we invest money. Some of us are just making poor investments, right? Number three, love. Friends, family, your intimate partner, uh, colleagues, clients, mentors, mentees, associates, things like that. And so these are the three main facets of peak performance, in my opinion. And it's not just can I crush it at work or can I crush it at home or can I crush it in the gym? It's actually all three. And in all honesty, if you were to be listening to this right now, like think about your hero. Or, or several, any of your heroes, okay, fictional or, or real. Very few people are actually really good at all three of those. You know, you, you know if, it, if you got like an Arnold Schwarzenegger who has a great physique and great, great body, right? But maybe, I don't know if his intimate relationship was all that great. I'm not sure it was or wasn't. I'm not calling him out. But the point is, is it's very, very challenging to have all three. But it can be done. And so peak performance to me is holistic. It's It's... How do, how do I show up with excellence in every single area of my life? I mean, I have some mentors that are multimillionaires and I'll keep it anonymous and they're great people, but they take better care of their car than their own body. No question. Mm-hmm. It's like, you've got a Porsche in your garage. It's mm-hmm. every time you go anywhere, you park it in the shade away from everybody else. You wax and wash the thing every other week. Right. And, and you take such good care of it, premium gas, all that stuff. But yet your body is not 
being taken care of into the same standard. And so we're all guilty of that in some area of our life. So peak performance, like the foundation needs to be rock solid for health, wealth, and love. And if, if you spend each and every day really laying bricks in each of those arenas and you narrow your circle of concern away from the extremities of anything outside of that, you really can build a magnificent life where, you know, you're getting enough sleep, you're hydrating enough, you're exercising every day, you're, you know, eating the right foods and in the right amounts and you're doing mobility and stretching. I mean, I was in the gym last night and I ended up getting hurt. I pulled my groin doing squats and I knew why it was my own poor choices. First of all, I'm not doing mobility as often as I should. You know, I haven't been stretching and foam rolling as consistently as I know I should. And so peak performance to me, setting big goals, having high standards, understanding you're going to fail forward along the way, and then narrowing your circle of concern to only the essentials that matter most and getting rid of all the stuff that just really doesn't. Yeah, I find all this interesting. And I think some of it leads to something that I heard you say on one of your podcast shows and where you said that we need to stop majoring in the minor things. And so can you kind of explain that concept and how it applies to this? Absolutely, absolutely. So a lot of people fail in life because they major in minor things. So for example, um, there's these three buckets of concern that I try to use. So we had someone named John Lorito, really great uh, leader of a company of a financial firm. He has a podcast called Tomorrow's Leader. And he came on our mastermind and he said this, this analogy that was just absolute fire. He said, there's three buckets, okay? The very first bucket is things that you have complete control over, which is, and he even asked me live in the mastermind, what is it? I said, everything you say, think, and do. And then if you want to add everything you say, think, and do in response to what's done to you, okay? So that's, your, that's your th- the thing that you have complete control over. That's bucket one. Bucket two is things you have influence over. So I, have, I don't have control over what you say, think, or do, but I do have influence over it right now because we're having a conversation, uh-huh. okay? Now, here's the third bucket. The third bucket is things I have absolutely no influence or control over. Unfortunately, what Kim Kardashian said last week on air, if I'm concerning myself with that, nothing against Kim, you know, but like if I'm concerning myself with that, that's conscious effort and energy that is being quite literally wasted because fitness, I did um, fitness coaching for a long time. It is not McDonald's fault. Like, yes, McDonald's is part of the problem, but you are not going to be able to make McDonald's go away, but you know what you can do? Stop eating McDonald's. And so narrow your circle of concern and stop majoring in minor things, major in major things. Here's a major thing, your health, physical health. I have five pillars for physical health, sleep, hydration, nutrition, training, and mobility. Quick story, my ex-girlfriend one time, uh, we were in the kitchen making food. And she's, she, I was a trainer at the time, and she knew that. She wanted to get in shape. She said, Alan, what do you think of L-glutamine? And I said, honestly, sweetheart, and I mean this with love, but until you're sleeping enough, hydrating enough, eating the right amount of calories in the right amount, training every day, and you know, stretching and foam rolling every day, L-glutamine doesn't matter, right? It doesn't make a difference. It doesn't even make a dent. Until you're doing the major things consistently and sustainably, don't worry about L-glutamine. L-glutamine is someone trying to sell you a supplement you don't actually need because sleep, hydration, nutrition, training, and mobility are actually free. 
And it's like, you can sit there and get the best protein shake all day, but I'm going to be the one who's exercising every day first until you're exercising every day. Don't worry about the, the extremities. You know, I think the fundamentals aren't sexy. They're, They're boring. They're mundane. They're trivial. And so they don't get as much attention as they should. But the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. And I love that quote because it's so simple, but it's like, it's so true, right? How many of us are like, you know, I I use this analogy. If your intimate relationship is on the fritz, Mm -hmm. you shouldn't be out hanging out with your your friends and and going out and partying. It's like, you should have have that conversation with your spouse or with your partner. Like, if you're not winning closest to home, then you're not going to be able to, to really win elsewhere, you know, so start from within. I think that's what peak performance is really about. Yeah. I find what you said interesting, you know, and, uh, uh, the, what the word that came to, to, or the thought that came to my mind there during, um, during the dialogue was, is, uh, we focus too much on the extracurriculars rather than the core curriculum. Um, and you know, it, it takes supplements. We do all these other additional things, but, most of us are probably lacking in sleep and hydration and many other areas of our life, which I know that if you just drink the right amount of water, you can lose quite a bit of weight. But most of us will go for that sugary drink, you know, because it's there. And that's also addicting. But that goes back to, you know, uh, as you began earlier in the conversation about locus of control, focusing on the things you control. Don't worry about what McDonald's is doing, trying to take them out. Focus on what you can control to enable your future success, you know, and the things that you can do right now. Cause you know, I mean, once you get into a position later on and you have influence and maybe you can, you know, put a dent in the universe, but right now you got to focus on, on you and what you can control. So uh, I think that's an important concept that you brought to us. I appreciate that very much. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Earlier you were talking a little bit about, uh, to goals and, uh, you know, there was, uh, something that you had brought up about, um, and I've heard this story before, but I think it's important. And I, I would love for you to tell it uh, to us from your perspective about John Lennon and how that applies to goals and happiness. Because uh, one of the first podcasts I listened to you uh, talk about is you talked about um, uh, happiness, you know, and to live a world-class life, you have to have these three pillars of hap to get to happiness. Yeah. Um, and so how, how does that work? Yeah. So, uh, that peak performance training you're referring to, I started there because I think that's kind of the acorn. Like if, if we define happiness improperly, we're going to be playing this game of life, quote unquote, improperly out of the get. If you don't understand the rules of basketball, you're not going to be very good at it. Right. And mm-hmm. so what are the rules of life and what is the goal of life? So I think the goal of life is yes, the pursuit of happiness, but I think we, we, misdefine happiness. And, and so we've all heard that story most likely of John Lennon. He was a little kid and his teacher gave him an assignment of what do you want to be when you get older? And he said, happy. And the teacher said, you don't understand the assignment. And John Lennon said, you don't understand life. Now, as, as much as I love that story, what I think, you know, incomplete is our definition of happiness. Like, if you're out there right now, think about it. Like, what is happiness? Does that mean, I mean, are you happy eating a donut? Are you happy when you're in a convertible car? Are you happy when you're in, with your intimate partner? Like, we, we, we kind of have this ambiguous definition of how to achieve it. And so if you have a, 
if you're on a basketball court and you don't know, and you have a goal to hit a three-pointer, but you don't know what to do in order to hit it, you're going to play that game. It's a losing game. So I define happiness, and this took me a lot of research, and, and I'm not like a behavioral scientist or anything, but I've been studying humans my whole life. I've certainly been studying myself my whole life. And, you know, it's always fascinated me. So here's what I've finally come up with that I believe happiness actually is a winnable game. And here's how I believe there's three main facets. I think the first facet is, um, joy, joy. So right now I'm enjoying this conversation. So I'm in the present moment in joy. Okay. Number two is pleasure. Pleasure is if then, if I eat this donut, then I will get pleasure. Dopamine hit to my brain, salt, sugar, fat, all that stuff. Fulfillment is a different thing. Fulfillment is what I would refer to as sustainable happiness. And so if you think about it this way, okay, joy, pleasure, and fulfillment, I think those three facets are what make up what we define as happiness. But I think we're overly using the pleasure one. You know, it's like, so I'll give you a tiny example here. So I coach a lot of different people and I was on four coaching calls yesterday and I'm trying to help my clients really elevate and get to the next level of their life. And I use this simple analogy. I say, listen, this is not about me, but I want to help you. Since the gyms opened back up, I've not missed a single day of exercise. I don't know if that's two months ago or three months ago or a month and a half, but I do know it's been a long time and I know I won't miss a day. Now I said, theoretically, anyone can do that, right? I'm going, first of all, I'm in the parking lot. I set the timer for 40 minutes and I'm out at the moment I finish my set as soon as that timer goes off and I leave. So it's not like I'm doing three hour workouts every day, but I am working out every single day. I promised myself once the gym's opened that I would exercise every day for the rest of my life. Okay. That's a promise that I made to myself. No one else has to hold me accountable to that. And by the way, no one else will. And I said, theoretically, logically, anyone can do that, right? And they're like, yeah. And I said, why don't they though? And I asked one of my clients, I said, why am I able to actually do it? And I want you to really think about it. And she said a couple of fire answers. One was you have a bigger goal than anybody else. Number two, you have more why power than anyone else. In other words, a lot of reasons why. And number three, you've created a habit out of fitness. And I said, those are awesome, awesome answers. Those are fire. That's not really what I was looking for, but strong work. Yeah. The truth of the matter is, is that I have more pain associated to not going to the gym mm -hmm. than I do going. And I don't want to go. Like tonight, I'm going. 6.30 p.m., me and my girlfriend are going. I don't want to go. I'm going to go anyway. Why? Because I want to be fulfilled. So joy, happiness, fulfillment. Where are you chasing pleasure at the expense of fulfillment? Fulfillment lasts joy, happiness, and pleasure is in just a moment. And so how do you integrate those three? What if you can do something that you actually enjoy doing, get pleasure from it, even if it kind of sucks, <laughs> right? And feel fulfilled because you actually kept the promises to yourself. And the last thing I'll say before I get off this soapbox, I apologize, is if you had a friend who broke as many promises to you as you've broken to yourself, mm -hmm. how much would you value that friendship? And you wouldn't. That's the thing. So we wonder why we struggle with self-esteem and self-worth. It's because you're not doing the things you've promised yourself you'll do. And for me, I will admit that that is a strength. I, I think, and I told my clients this, I said, listen, I don't know if I'm playing with something different, but for some reason, I, 
consistency and self-discipline are like very much strengths of mine. And I, and I have a lot of weaknesses, trust me, but those aren't them. If you do struggle with discipline and consistency, you say, I'm going to go to the gym tomorrow. And then you don't, and you keep letting yourself off the hook, letting yourself off the hook, letting yourself down. You've got to get around someone who does have discipline and maybe they're a little hardcore, but that's going to help you. It's going to help you elevate. Yeah, there's quite a few things in there. I mean, we can unpack, but uh, I, I, I appreciate the value that you've added. You know, when you talked about the pursuit of happiness, uh, one of the things that jumped out at me, I was reading a book called Authentic Happiness years ago by Martin Seligman, the father of positive psychology. And he goes back to our founding documents in America and says the Constitution guarantees you the pursuit of happiness but it doesn't guarantee you happiness so it's up to us to do the things necessary to get there and so uh, from that moment i was like it resonated with me and, and i kind of got on that journey of optimism and hope you know and i started to change my perspective in a lot of different things because i realized it was like yeah that's happiness is really up to me so uh oh, thank you for sharing that that's 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 quite an important concept, you know, that I think most people do miss. And the other one would be, uh, you know, I tell people to be selfish, take care of yourself first, because if you can't take care of yourself first, you're not going to be able to help anybody else. Right. And so I know helping people gives us sometimes fulfillment, but for many years I worked with, uh, uh for at least three years, I worked for uh, Rosalind Carter Institute of Caregiving. And so the problem with caregivers and it's, they're wonderful people, they give and they give and they give, but they never take care of themselves until they get to this place of burnout or they have what they call as um, uh, uh, vicarious or secondary post-traumatic stress because now they're starting to exhibit the same signs and symptoms of the person they're caring for. Right. They're getting headaches. They're, they're feeling ill all the time. You know, the, some of the things are it's just replicating and it's because they don't take time out for themselves. You know, they don't take that 60 minutes to go for a walk or that, to decompress or the time to read a book or, you know, and there I've worked with quite a few people. And I remember working with um, a young lady who had twins and she was caring for her husband because he had a major back injury. And uh, she's like, you know, I can't even go to the store without my twins fighting with each other. I can't, I don't have time to take a shower, you know, and there's this like, it's like always everybody, 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 everybody else, you know? And, and so we worked through her with some problem solving skills. And it's a skill that I think, you know, is, is undervalued today. You know, we generally uh, go after the first thought that comes through our mind instead of taking a step back and analyzing the problem and saying, okay, well, there's about three or four different approaches I can take, which one is more realistic and uh, will likely end up occurring um, mm -hmm. rather than just jumping on the first thought and then wasting all that time and that energy and that effort. And sometimes you can combine a couple alternative approaches and create a hybrid and it would work just as well. So we would go through this process. And so I can appreciate that. And, you know, caring for yourself first, doing what you need to do uh, and, and, and so that you can be the best version of yourself. And that way, you know, that I think that like uh, resonates with your circle of concern or influence, as you mentioned earlier, you know, um, it's almost like um, they're in your orb and they feed off of your energy. So I think those are all very, very important concepts. Um, so we've talked about a lot of high level stuff. You know, you've achieved uh, a lot of great things in your life and you've come a long way out of all of that. Right. And you may not even mention this, but what are you the most proud? 
Oh, uh, great question. Great question. So here's, here's what I would say, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell a quick hypothetical story in order to really land this point, because this is what I'm most proud of. So in this hypothetical scenario, there's a mother, there's a two-year-old boy, and there's a car. Okay. The mother's in the park. The two-year-old boy just learned how to crawl and is super adventurous and God forbid runs in, or crawls into the street and gets hit by a car because the mother was distracted talking to a friend. Now, in this scenario, there's three different entities that have influence over this tragic circumstance. And the reason I tell it is because it's an emotional story that is hypothetical, but it really gets to the heart of something. You know, you can sit there with semantics of whose fault is it? It's like, well, the mother should have been paying attention or the driver should have been paying attention. Here's what I know for sure. It is not the child's fault. Now, here's how I know that. Why? Why is it not the child's fault? No matter what semantic, what argument you, you tell, everyone agrees it's not the child's fault because the child was not aware that cars were dangerous. And so what am I most proud of? I'm most proud of the fact that even when I've made mistakes, I didn't hide from them. Mm -hmm. I looked at them and I, and I, I changed based on a new awareness. I often ask myself like, and I ask my mentors, I ask my clients, where am I still putting leeches on me thinking it's going to make me healthy? Where is the world still flat? Where I coached an 11 and a seven year old recently because we gave a speech and at that tail end, there was a, giveaway for a free call and we were spinning this thing and we saw the kids and uh it was supposed to be just one free call but all the kids got so upset when they didn't win so we're like no no no, we'll give everybody a free call so i was coaching the seven and 11 year old and ended up being cool because their dad was a podcast host who i met and went on his show it was just this whole thing but there's a seven year old daughter and a 11 year old son and i'm coaching them and mm -hmm. first of all i asked them what are they afraid of because it's interesting it's hard to coach someone that young and the the a uh, little girl is saying, I'm afraid of this and I'm afraid of this and I'm afraid of this. And the little boy's like, I'm not afraid of anything. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, interesting. And so, but the reason I tell you that is because I'm asking myself all the time, where am I an 11 year old? Where am I still a seven year old? Where am I not having a high awareness in something? I mean, if you and I go and buy a car together, I don't know anything about cars. Guess what? I can't make a good decision. I don't have any knowledge in this arena. I have no power in this arena. And so what am I most proud of? I'm most proud of the fact that I've come a long way and I have work to do still. Mm -hmm. I feel like I know what I know and I really am okay with saying I'm awesome at this. Like the self-discipline and consistency thing. Like, honestly, I'm really good at that. I really am. There's other areas where I really suck. But what I'm most proud of is the fact that I'm living in my truth. I don't lie to anyone anymore about anything. You know, even little white lie stuff. Like my girlfriend, I've, I remember this one time, literally her dog had pooped on my carpet. And she was already having a rough day and I didn't want to bring it up to her just because I didn't want her to be upset with herself or with him. I'd rather just clean it up myself and not burden her with that knowledge. And I got into the room and I said, babe, I have to tell you this because I, I won't ever keep anything from you, no matter how trivial. And I said, just so you know, Tucker pooped on the carpet. Don't worry. I already picked it up. Like it's all good. No big deal. Like that's the level of commitment that I have. And what I'm most proud of is that I am living in the truth. I do not want to pretend I'm better than I am. Yeah. I don't want to pretend I'm worse than I am. I, I just, I don't want to pretend things are better than they are. I want to live in the truth. And that is what I'm most proud of. And to be honest, I didn't always have that motto. 
Um, and I think a lot of pain came my way after that car accident because I think I was avoiding some really tough truths about my life and about the way I, I was showing up in it. Yeah, pretty powerful. Um, as we move into the last half or portion of this segment, um, the last third of the, the, this conversation, uh, what is the thing that scares you the most? And if there's not really something that scares you, uh, what is it that you haven't done yet that you still need to do? Mm, love it. Uh, what scares me the most is my ambition and aspirations clouding my judgment and unintentionally hurting those I love. Um, I do think that one of my strengths is my ability to laser focus, but I also think that every strength comes with a weakness. And so my tunnel vision is powerful if I'm sitting here in a room being productive, but it also can sometimes uh, have me lose sight of other people and, and how they might feel about that. And so my biggest fear is to hurt my beautiful girlfriend, Emilia. She's literally the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I don't want my ambition and my drive to succeed mm-hmm. to negatively impact her. And so far, so good. I mean, she, she's super ambitious too. She's, she's unreal. But that's my biggest fear. What would I do that I haven't done yet that I want to do was the second piece of the question. Yeah. I want to start a charity where I bring personal development and entrepreneurship to the public school system. And I don't know how I'm going to do that yet. Maybe it'll be online courses. Maybe it'll be in person. Maybe it'll be through assemblies. But I do know that I'm a little bit frustrated with my lack of philanthropic work because we're so focused on growing the business and cash flow and and buying a home with my girlfriend. And I want to be more, and I just told you I was coaching kids. There's something about helping kids that is very, very important to me Mm -hmm. and something I want to do more of. So uh, I'm I'm looking forward to leaning into that. That's awesome. I think that's, that's beautiful. And uh, you know, you mentioned something earlier, I think that, uh, is important. And and there's a survey out there called the Ica character strengths. And if you go take that survey, you know, basically give you 24 character strengths that we all possess. And usually the top five are your, your, your um, signature character strengths. And with those signature character strengths there, we also call them blind strengths because they tend to be so strong that they can actually have an adverse effect in our lives. And one of the ones that uh, I have is love of learning and curiosity and, and things like that and optimism. And so I could tell you, you know, how those have an adverse effect, but you have to be very self-aware to be able to see that. And it takes a little bit of work, but I think it's important. And I think you hit on that a little bit, you know, where, you know, your focus can be so, your, your focus and drive can be so high that sometimes you, you don't see those little signs along the way that says, Hey, this could be hurting this person, or this could be hurting me here or there. Um, and you know, it's kind of like humor, you know, some people are great at humor. It's, well, it's a great character strength, but a funeral may not be the right time and place for humor. Right. About there's a certain aspect of humor that, you know, if you tell a funny story about a person, it could break the ice and get people to laugh and memorialize a little bit. But then, you know, another aspect of humor may not be so good. So, there's different, you know, and I use that, I use that as an example a lot of times with the members of my coaching program. So no, I appreciate you sharing that. And that's a great insight to those, those blind character strengths. Um, 
So let's kind of shift it a little bit. Uh, I always like to understand the, you know, people who achieved a high level of success already and had great shifts and transformations in their lives. Um, where do you think that you'll be in 10 or 20 years? What does that direction look like? You know, where you're going, you kind of shared a little bit about the entrepreneurship and schools and, you know, helping young children, you know, find that path. Um, Where do you think you'll be at? So if you were to look up hyperconscious in the dictionary, it means to be acutely aware. To me, my main thing is life is about choices. You have a spotless future, but if you're not acutely aware of all the options, you're not actually choosing right? In that hypothetical story, the kid did not choose to get hit by a car or not to, it didn't even know. And so what you don't know will hurt you. So where am I going to be in 20 years? I want to be in the, the online education space where at least if you know better, you have a choice because knowledge is not power, it's potential power. We all, know, we all know we should exercise every day, but not everyone does, right? So that's knowing something, but not actually doing it. So that's a different conversation. But at least if you know, at least then you have a choice. And so I don't like the idea of, so I grew up in an environment where um, I, I was very fortunate to be able to go to WPI because I got financial aid, because I did so well in school and I got scholarships. I really, really, it it pains me almost to tears, actually, even just thinking about this. Like there are people out there with so much potential who never even have the chance to get a good education. And to me, that's not fair. Like I just got the chills just saying that that's not right. Like, because who am I to have all these amazing opportunities and, and to not, to know that there's someone else out there just as smart, just as ambitious, just as talented, who, who just doesn't just grew up in the wrong area or in the wrong circumstance that fuels my fire so much. So where do I want to be in 20 years? Yes. I want to be a professional speaker. Yes. I want to have the greatest podcast in the personal development industry possible. Yes. I want to be hosting events all over the world, but what I really want to be is a leader in the online education revolution where anyone can attain affordably an education that will help them succeed and design a life on their own terms. Because, you know, I spent, again, I had help, but like my school was $250,000. I went for five years. I got my MBA. It was almost 50 grand a year. Mm -hmm. Like not everyone can do that. You know, the people I met, the professors I had, the curriculum, the, the engineering, the MBA, the business, like I had such a good opportunity to get exposed to so much. And I know there's so many people out there with so much potential, but they just don't have the exposure or, or the opportunity to really, to really lean into that. And so I want to provide that opportunity on an online platform for an affordable price to anybody. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I can hear the passion and I can hear the desire. And I, I, I really enjoy uh, hearing that answer, especially, you know, uh, people have potential and, you know, I think one of the, 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 the most important things that leaders can do is to help people see their potential and where they can go. And I think that's important. Yeah, it, some people just need a little, little bit of a push or a shove. And if you can, leaders have a lot of influence. And if they put that energy in the right direction, I mean, you can do some, some incredible stuff, uh, especially with the, the folks that actually look up to you. So... Um, thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, so we all have this definition of success that we share with other people. 
but I think that sometimes we don't always share, you know, what our, what we would define as true success, what we really intrinsically desire and want to achieve and do in our lives. And maybe even a part of that's our legacy, like what kind of legacy we would like to leave. So uh, what is your true success look like? Yeah, that's a, these are these are powerful questions, and I, I I'm grateful you asked them because we would all do well to answer these and to get clarity on these. Because without clarity, like you said, you're just drifting around. So for me to answer that question, it's I it it comes back to what I grew up around. So I grew up I grew up hearing stories about John, my dad. So he passed away again in a car accident when he was 28. I've seen a picture of the car, and when I look at pictures of my car when I was 26, it's it gives me the chills because that could have been it. And so what am I playing for? What does success mean to me? I heard stories about John all my life. I look like him. I still have mannerisms like him. And I told you, I don't have an intellectual understanding of death. I have an emotional one. And no one ever talks about how he died. They talk about how he chose to live. And, and it's so obvious to me because the stories I hear of him, it's never about how he died. It's never about when he died. It's about how he lived. And so to me, true success is living the most extraordinary life I possibly can and inspiring, motivating, and educating other people on how to do the same. And I have a lot of vehicles for which I'm doing that. But, you know, whether it's podcasting or speaking or being on the show right now, my mission is to live the most extraordinary life possible and to help as many people as possible to do the same. And I do. I have designed my life around that. Growing and developing leaders, you know, I don't want to just lead followers. I want to lead leaders. And, and, you know, you probably can think back to your favorite teacher back in school or your, your, you know, a mentor you had that changed your life forever. And then how many lives has that changed because your life changed? And so we can all rise. And so my definition of success is to lift as many people up, but to do it with intelligence and not burn down along the way. Like you mentioned being, you know, selfish versus selfless. You need to integrate them. You know, you need to put the oxygen mask on yourself first if the plane's going down. Otherwise you can't help anybody else. It's a, it's a overused analogy, but it's such a good one. And so um, if you want an ordinary life, I'm probably not the guy or the coach or the consultant for you. But if you want an extraordinary life, like that's, that's what I want to do. And, and the last thing I'll say is this. There is no one size fits all to an extraordinary life. Your, my unique version of extraordinary is having the most extraordinary physique possible, the most extraordinary intimate relationship possible, the most extraordinary business possible, and, and to really design a life around my passions in an effort to inspire and help others. But just understand that someone else's definition of success should never be yours. You should really, really look at it, study it, learn from it, but then incorporate what's relevant to you. Yeah, you hit on something that was key there too, I think. Uh, you know, you talked about how your definition or, or your recipe for an extraordinary life uh, is, will be different than other people's. And we're all incredibly unique. And so we're all going to have a different recipe. It's just figuring out what those ingredients are and make, you know, and mixing that bowl, if you want to use a cooking analogy, you know, and, and, and getting it baked at the right, you know, temperature and the right length of time. And, and so uh, I, there's, there's a, a, a gentleman named Greg Gunn that, uh, that use that, 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 uh, 
analogy or that that visual for me when it came to developing a vision you know we all come from different parts different experiences different things and when you mix you know everything into a bowl and you mix it up you know when you're trying to build families and you know companies and organizations you know you get these different values and all these other different ideas together and what do you come up with you know and so you gotta find the right recipe that gets everybody you know uh, moving in the same direction um so with that being said, you know, you talked a lot about impacting other people and which leads to me really to, to the last question before I'll turn it over to you. And when you impact people, there's this, this great quote that is attributed to Mother Teresa. She may or may not have said it, but it, she's properly um, attributed to it, is that if you cast a stone into the water, you can create ripple effects. And so when you, when, when that comes to impacting people, what will be that stone that you cast in the water that's going to create this ripple effect, whether it resonates with your community, uh, your family or your future family or, or whatnot, or even multiple generations down the road, what is that going to be? Um, yeah. So great question again. Um, getting me emotional here. It's going to be this idea that you can do something that you set your mind to. Mm -hmm. You know, I think if you want to figure out what your impact should be in the world, I think you should figure out what upsets you and what frustrates mm -hmm. you and what pisses you off. Because the, whatever that is, it's the opposite that you should be doing. <laughs> you know, be the change you wish to see in the world, Mahatma yeah. Gandhi. So for me, whenever I saw someone tell someone they couldn't do something, it bothered me so much. And so I think there's three beliefs you must have to achieve anything. Number one, you must believe it is possible. Number two, you must believe it is possible for you. And number three, you must believe it will be worth it. That's the hard one. It, you must believe it'll be worth all the hard work. Yeah. Like it's so much work. Here's what I would say. And this is what I want my impact to be to answer your original question. You have a dream. Maybe you've covered it up. Maybe other people's nonsense has covered it up. Maybe you think it's too weird. Maybe you've just lost sight of it because you just have been chasing these extremities for too long. But at some point, you're going to come to a place in your life where you're really in emotional pain. And you're either going to escape that emotional pain into drugs or alcohol or Netflix or numb it somehow and go into some form of a vice, an escape, or you're going to decide, you know what, I'm going to just try it. I'm going to try this dream. I'm going to give this a shot. And what I want to be known for is someone who helped people literally in a moment, make a new choice that created a new life. Because if you're out there listening right now, think of someone who changed your life. It doesn't mean they had to like change your whole life all at once, but it, they, they helped you make a decision. I'll give you one tiny example. I was in a fraternity party and my ex-girlfriend who I was with for five years, beautiful girl named Courtney and wonderful, wonderful person. I didn't know her at the time. And I'm sitting there with my buddy Manu and we're at this party and I, I'm looking at this girl and I'm like, she's gorgeous. I want to ask her to dance, but I'm watching her reject all these guys. Okay. She was like the most beautiful girl at this party. 
And I'm like, no, man. He's like, why don't you go ask her to dance? I'm like, no, I just saw her reject. Like literally, I think it was eight guys. I was just counting, right? Just one after the other. And I'm like, I don't want to get rejected. And he's, he bet me the $2 bill. The $2 bill was something me and all my college friends, whoever had the $2 bill had like pride. We all signed it, right? And we would bet things. And so he bet me the $2 bill that she would say yes. And so because of my, him playing to my ego at the time, I went and asked. That turned into a five-year relationship, an incredible relationship. That changed the trajectory of my life forever. I danced with her all night. We went on a date, two dates, three dates. We ended up being together five years. Manu changed my life by me making one new decision. So the ripple effect that I want to have is hopefully after this episode, you, me, and everyone listening is going to make at least one new choice that is more positive than the choices we would have made otherwise. And that's the ripple effect that I want to have and be known for. Well, very cool, Alan. Um, is there anything that you haven't shared with us yet? And how can we find you in the future? Mm. So if you Google my name, Alan Lazarus, first name is A-L-A-N, last name Lazarus, L-A-Z-A-R-O-S. I'm the only one other than this one guy in Germany named Alan Lazaro but he doesn't have a very big online footprint. So if you Google my name, I'll come up on all the different social media platforms and all that. You can also go to the hyperconsciouspodcast.com. That's all spelt just like you think, the hyperconsciouspodcast.com. Uh, you can reach out on Instagram. You can reach out on LinkedIn. You can reach out on Facebook, uh, Messenger, all that. Between me and my assistant, we get back to everybody. And please reach out. I want to help you. Even if I can't help you, I guarantee you I know someone who can, um, which is really cool. And then is there anything that I would leave you with that I haven't had a chance to talk about yet? I think that we hit the nail on the head with a lot of different things. The last thing I'd leave with is what I started with, which is you have a spotless future. Like that's the most empowering thought in the world. I grew up, you know, again, I lost my father when I was young. Like that, I was around some suffering. I was around some serious suffering. Okay. And, and, you know, your choices are affecting everyone around you. Um, you have a spotless future and you can start making new choices any, any time you, any time you decide, maybe you go to the gym today when you wouldn't have, maybe you drink more water today. Maybe you open that door for someone today. Like that one new choice can ripple outward and, and, you know, you have a spotless future. So start making new choices and set a new standard and, and you got a whole new life waiting for you. Well, thank you, Alan, for coming on the show and sharing a ton of value with us. Um, I love the conversation and we are here with Alan Lazarus from the Hyper Cautious Podcast and he's an expert in high performance and lifestyle design. Alan, again, thank you and I wish you the best in the future and please check out the links that we'll show in the, in the description of the show and, and follow Alan on the Hyper Conscious Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate this. This was great. Thanks for